Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. All right, guys, welcome to The Reforming Lounge. We hope that you are enjoying your week thus far. Uh, My name is Marco, and I'm here with Fowler. We are the hosts of The Reforming Lounge. How are you doing, bro? Good, man. Good. Sipping on my coffee as usual. I feel like every time we get into like intros, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. man, how are you doing? You're like, good, good. I am good. I'm consistently you are, good. It's like, it's like uh, you'll get warmed up as we go, and then your intros mm-hmm. tend to be a lot more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, but I enjoy doing this podcast with you. Thanks, man. Me too, mostly. Okay, we mostly, <laughs> comma, mostly. <laughs> okay so we've gotten some feedback and so we're going to do some things a little differently as we're heading into episode 10 now uh so to begin uh we want to thank our listeners for all the wonderful feedback that we have received so that's for sure deal yeah um two the response has been really positive and some really cool uh comments uh you know, in light of the start of this podcast. So again, just thank you to our listeners. Um, one of the comments that we got that we have received has been that our banter goes fairly long. And Ooh. to that, I say to those listeners or listener, then, you know, maybe they just need to go make some friends. No, I'm kidding. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not. Um, so anyway, I say that because I don't want our banter to go on like 20 minutes into the episode. And then we're like 30 <laughs> minutes of this is what we're actually going to talk about. And so, yeah, but nevertheless, yeah. it was, it was good. This is some good feedback, which I've appreciated. Um, yeah. So for, for a short snippet, how, how has recording been for you? Cause you've never done the podcast thing. You, you, you now are on a podcast. You're a host of a podcast. So how's it, um, how's it gone for you? I think it's been fun, man. I was definitely nervous, you know, when we were starting out and uh, there's definitely some pressure of, you know, just wanting to represent things well and yeah. uh, communicate things in a way that's helpful. Um, but also being conscientious that we're definitely navigating some things that can be really uh, maybe just difficult for people. Um, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, just wanting to honor some of those topics and make sure that we're not going about it in a way that is going to leave people like just feeling like, you know, it's just more people disrespecting uh, maybe some of the things that they've experienced. So, yeah, you're, but it's been fun. Yeah. The the irony here is like, you're way more compassionate about that than I am. I know. I know. Um, Yeah. That's 100% (laughs) true. Well, because so I would agree with you. I and and actually I would rephrase that. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with you. And I'm also thinking about individuals, I think not not anyone in particular, but I'm thinking about just Christians who I think in some ways take themselves a little too seriously mm-hmm. and don't take God's word seriously, don't take Jesus as serious, and therefore as a result lovingly i want to poke at them um and because i i know that i'm not gonna i don't have all of the answers and so a lot of this is really just based on some of the things that you're experiencing and that you've also like studied for 
like you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're walking through this and uh, to degree, it's the same thing uh, for me. And uh, but but still, every once in a while, just there's those those uh, those reels on Instagram where it's like uh, it says no people will say, please don't stir the pot. And then it's this one individual like walking into a room by dancing and it says me stirring the pot. I feel like that's that's what I try to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think we have a, a helpful balance there, hopefully. I, hope. I think there's definitely a part of that where it's necessary. I mean, when I think about just our like discipleship relationship, I mean, part of that was you were a lot more direct than anybody that I'd ever spent mm-hmm. my time with when it came to like things of the church and theology. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what I needed at that time. So, but I guess where I'm leaning into hopefully is uh, just being tactful. And nice. then I can lean on you to be, you know, my anchor translator. There you go. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's let's get into it today. So uh, in the event that you didn't see the title on our Instagram um, or whatever platform you're listening to this on uh, today, we're going to be talking about marriage as idolatry. And so, Fowler, why don't you go ahead and start us? What do you mean? What do you what what do we mean when we're talking about marriage as idolatry? Uh, so idolatry can be many, many things. Um, and basically an overview of what that would be is when we're using God for what is really our God. And so that could be marriage, that could be money, that could be, you know, success. Um, but basically we're thinking that we're taking God and if I do all the right things and go to church enough and pray enough and present myself as holy, whatever I understand that to be, then God's going to bless me because of it. Yeah. Um, but my motivations aren't to honor God. It's to build up my own life and self. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so marriage being idolatry, we're just kind of honing in on the relational aspect of that, Mm -hmm. of how that tends to happen in the church. Yeah, I think that's really good. You know, Paul Tripp goes on to say that idolatry is, I can't remember the specific word on, on this part of his quote, but he says idolatry is when a good thing becomes the main thing or when the when one thing becomes the only thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so as a result, that drives motivation, that drives worship, that drives sacrifice, that drives finances, that drives decisions, that drives um, why you do what you do. And I think you are correct where um, you say, you rightly say that, that uh, idolatry isn't just encamped around, I think, bad things. It could also be encamped around good things, marriage, careers, success. But in addition to that, I think sometimes idolatry is primarily seen through the lens of tangible things. And, uh, but it could also be things like comfort, right? It could, um, it could, it could be things like comfort. It could be things like pleasure. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there are these very wide facets to idolatry, which, which is what makes it so dangerous and so sneaky and so dangerous and and so um, uh, destructive, right? Because some things are they would be seen as good. Like, why wouldn't you want to pursue someone in marriage? Why wouldn't you want to advance your career? Is comfort really a bad thing? Um, right. And so it could be kind of tricky to identify um, 
idols in one's life or in one's heart. And I think that's where John Calvin goes on to say uh, that the heart is, is an idol factory, right? And it's constantly pumping out idols that are ultimately going to, that we're going to have a propensity to turn to as we turn away from Christ. And that's, that's the yeah. danger. Yeah, man. I'm glad you added that because that's a very significant portion, right? Is that mm-hmm. these can be good things. There's nothing necessarily inherently wrong about these things from the outset, but it's when they become ultimate, like you're saying, where it can really be problematic. Yeah, I think we, we see, and I'm not going to go on too long here, but I, I think we see that with how people act out of their idols also, right? Mm-hmm. Like if something goes wrong with your marriage or with parenting, man, yeah. I feel like that's a pretty big one, uh, at least in our culture too, like mm-hmm. looking like this perfect parent. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you don't get the promotion, you get fired or any of those things, like how you act in those situations, I think can kind of reveal some idols too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like when it comes to idolatry, you may not necessarily articulate it that way. You may not necessarily think you're doing anything wrong, but idolatry uh, demands worship. And so if your decisions are centered around that, if your finances are centered around that, if your lifestyle, if the things that you say no to, the things that you say yes to, like all of that is, uh, all of that are, are, are contributions to worship of a, of a specific thing or person or goal. And so, yeah, idolatry demands, demands worship. It's not just that I'm thinking about this one thing all of the time. That's part of it, but man, my, my life is actually going to reflect, um, who or what I worship based on how I live the decisions and so on. Yeah. So when it comes to marriages, idolatry, yeah. Why does this matter to talk about in the context of our faith? Oh my gosh. So many things. Um, I mean, okay, why does it matter in the context of our faith? So number one, marriage is a beautiful union between a man and a woman becoming one flesh, right? And, mm-hmm. and so that's a practicality of it. But in addition to that, like marriage is a slice of, of what it was like in Eden. It is this very, very small slice of, of what it was like in Eden. In addition to that, marriage preaches a sermon about Jesus, right? That Jesus as uh, the groom pursues Mm -hmm. his bride, the church, and Mm -hmm. has called her with an everlasting love and has kept his faithfulness to her. And so, so marriage is this beautiful representation of God's pursuit, love, specifically his covenantal love. The Old Testament will call that his chesed. And so it is a beautiful representation of God's uh, pursuit and love for his bride, the church. And so, so marriage in and of itself preaches a beautiful sermon about God's relationship to the church. It also preaches a sermon about what God has done and is doing in the life of sinners, because in the context of marriage, you have two sinners trying to love one another while serving uh, a holy and perfect God. And so it grows their dependence on them, on, on him. And so it, it preaches a great deal. So as a result, it is, it is this beautiful picture of, of, uh, 
yeah, what, what, what God does in Christ for us now. So that's like that big view. And I know we're going to get into like the, 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 the practical side of marriage, right? Because it's not just like, oh, I'm getting married just to preach Jesus, right? Like I'm getting married because man, I love my, my, you know, someone getting married. It's like, I love my future bride. I love my fiance and I want all of these things. And that's good. And there is this genuine gospel centric motivation, um, to pursue, to pursue marriage, which is, which is wonderful. Now, all of that being said, back to your question, why does this matter? The reason this matters is because I think the reason we're addressing marriage as idolatry is because I think in, at least in the context of the American church, marriage is the end goal. Mm. Like you're going to church and this is the end goal. You know, you're going to meet the future, your future wife, your future husband there. And if you don't, something's probably wrong with you. Mm. You know, that's, yeah. that tends to be what is some, I don't know any, but some churches may say that some churches may not say that, but it's in the culture. Yeah. You and know it's I mean? in the application, right? And it's in the application. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I think another unique, mm, fragile balance that some churches try to walk is where, like, for instance, if a, a, a preacher is walking his church through Ephesians five and you get to husbands and wives, right. Um, or for instance, at Starhouse McCallum this spring, we did Colossians. And so when we got to Colossians uh, three is when we encountered husbands and wives. And there is this like unique, uh, sensitive balance of, okay, what's the pastor preacher going to say about husbands and wives and how does that apply to the single person? You know what I mean? And so sometimes Mm -hmm. some churches have, I think, swung too hard on addressing husbands and wives only and making, I suppose, single people left out um, or at the same time, making single people feel like they are the lesser than. And that, that is just that that is a cultural thing that tragically happens in many churches. Yeah. And, um, when I come across husbands and wives, I want to talk to husbands and wives. (laughs) It's not that I'm ignoring single people as if the rest of the book doesn't apply to them in terms of their relationship with Jesus. Um, and it's not even that husbands and wives, there isn't some, some, uh, gospel centric things that they can walk away with, but I also don't want to apologize if I need to address husbands and wives. And so there's this like sensitive balance, I think that some, some churches need to, or some churches feel that they have to walk through um, because of the overall um, cultural dynamic of, you know, you go to church to get married and if you don't, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other piece of that too, is that you're going to church to be served by the church. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not, directly applicable to your current life stage, then they're not doing a good job of meeting your expectations where I've tried to push people because we did a, uh, I led a marriage and this is the way that it was set up, which bothered me in itself. But um, we at a church I was at previously, they basically break you up by life stages. And so married couples are all together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really helps us learn how to live in community. Um, but we were going through, uh, a song of Solomon series, the Tommy Nelson one, uh, Tommy Nelson, for those don't know, is a pastor in Denton, Texas, 
represent. Yeah, man. But uh, the nine really four zero, oh, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> is it nine four zero? Oh? It is. Yeah, I think it's nine four. Anyway. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I had that wrong. Okay. Mm. Anyway, part of the book, which is in scripture, this is not Tommy Nelson just doing his own thing. Yeah. Talks about courting, mm-hmm. and so they're not necessarily married yet. It's not directly applicable, one of the sessions, to married couples. And so in a group of married people, I'm trying to talk to them about, like, obviously, we're all past this phase, but scripture is still relevant. Yeah, Like, there's no parts of it that just don't matter to us anymore because we've outgrown any certain thing. Also, we need to take this information and think about how this applies to discipleship. Because if you're only discipling other people that are married, you might need to expand your circle a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Dude, half the group didn't show up to that session. (laughs) Like, There's nothing here. What's discipleship? What even is that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, man. It's wild. It is tough to navigate though, right? I mean, obviously I've never been in that position. I'm glad of that, but (laughs) I can can only imagine trying to preach the sermon on that and have that balance of, you know, so yeah, or at least the pressures of the balance, maybe. Yeah. And I would say, man, I've failed in that, in that balance uh, as well as a, as a pastor and preacher where, you know, like, uh, you really want the men to grow up, uh, get their stuff together, love Jesus and Lord willing, find a wife, have a family, enjoy one another. Um, or just from the pulpit walking through texts like Ephesians five, um, where it's just, I'm drilling, you know, husbands and wives and addressing whatever Paul is talking about in that, in that, in that, uh, chapter. Um, and so I've, I've done that and I've also felt you know, uh, both in conversation and just my own personal experience, I felt the tension where you have individuals who are single in your church and, you know, they're not necessarily walking away, um, disheartened, but they are discouraged. Like, man, we talk a lot about, you know, husbands and wives and a lot of the things that we do tend to be centered around husbands and wives, marriage classes, um, parenting and stuff like that. Um, or, or, or other types of courses. And so, so there is something to, to take away from that. Like, yeah, there's, there's some meat on that bone and, and we need to address that and not necessarily tailor to, uh, individuals who are single, but at the same time, I don't want to dismiss them and forget about them. Um, and, um, so there's those realities. And then, like I mentioned earlier, and I also don't want to apologize when the text calls for it, you know, mm-hmm. when the text yeah. calls for me to address husbands and wives. And I, I can't remember, I think we were still in Colossians. Um, there was one section where I just said, I think something like, and I know those of you who are single are like, yeah, but how does this apply to me? And I just kind of went off. Like you are incredibly self-centered if that's what you're thinking, because some, and I know we're getting into this a little bit more, but some individuals who are single equate marriage to like the ultimate relationship. And in so doing, they deny God's glory in a relationship with him. And practically speaking, they're talking trash about their friendships, which means that you actually don't know anything about friendships. Like you're actually denying the friends that you have in your circle by saying marriage is the ultimate relationship. You're actually treating others the way you think you're being treated by feeling a lesser than you're actually doing that to those around you. And so, good, um, you know, and I, and I think that's the, that's part of the issue that I have 
really within the culture of the American church. Like, and yes, marriage is idolatry. And part of that is also more than catering to singles. We need to teach on what gospel centered friendship looks like. Ooh. You know, like marriage is not the only relationship that you cultivate in the context of uh, a church community. Yeah, man, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we could talk about that, you know, yeah. as we as yeah. we go. But that's um, probably another episode, even. Um, oh, man, I'll let yeah. it all out here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, you you keep going because I can. I'll, I'll keep ranting. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, in terms of why we're talking about this for kind of the mental health side, um, I think something that people will do, uh, well, I mean, this is what we're saying to do, right? Is that they are kind of taking God or church or um, whatever other aspect of pieces of Christianity and thinking, if I use this, then my relationship will be better, which I think is incredibly frustrating ultimately and therefore impacts our mental health. If we're thinking I'm doing all these things that I'm supposed to do, why is my marriage not better yet? Or why do I not have a marriage yet? Right. Which that would be so disheartening if you're thinking I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. This is supposed to be some guaranteed fix for whatever I'm dealing with. Yeah. And, and then it's not working and it shows a misunderstanding though, of what Christianity even is. Uh, because there's plenty of times where God is actually doing a lot in our heart because of these could be mm-hmm. suffering within the context of marriage yeah. or, you know, desiring marriage and, and not having a, a spouse. Yeah. Um, but if we're looking at it as this is my metric of success and it hasn't happened yet, I must be doing something wrong, yeah. man, at least people in a miserable, miserable yeah. place. What, what do you think is the balance Right. Where there is a, a married couple who, who genuinely love the Lord and they are not unaware of heart issues and they're trying to just work on X, Y, and Z, but it's not taken. Like, you know what I mean? It's not, they're, they're feeling disheartened and discouraged. What, what's kind of the, the, the line, I think sometimes much like, you know, the culture of the church towards singles when it comes to married couples, similar to what you're saying, um, on one hand, there are couples who may have, or individuals who are married, who, who may have this distorted view of scripture and they're trying to apply it to their marriage so that it gives, you know, whatever result they're looking for. But then on the other hand, you have individuals who genuinely do love the Lord are aware of heart issues and are trying to work towards those work on those issues. Um, but yeah, they're, they're feeling, disheartened, discouraged, what, what's the line between one, um, idolizing marriage and the other one just genuinely trying to work on it. And that's a really good question. (laughs) And I don't think that I, I, I don't think that I could do anything, uh, to answer that in a way that would be helpful. Yeah. I really don't because I, and, and this is sort of like one of the things that frustrates me with like Christian marriage books is I think it really, really waters down like the purpose of marriage, mm. but also like the sovereignty and providence of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think we can get hung up on anything, whether it's marriage and our relationship or, you know, maybe a 
maybe some real, real challenges that we have yeah. with a kid of ours or, um, or why things aren't working out at work or, yeah. you know, any of those things, I think we can get hyper-focused on it. And, um, when we encounter things like, like these self-help books that just kind of lay it out, like, well, if you just do one, two, three, then you'll be fine. Right. And I think that just leads to more discouragement ultimately. And so I feel like any, any answer that I would really give to that would ultimately just lead to more discouragement Mm. of like, it's, it's just about one thing, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's not gonna, that's not everybody like, because we're not going to be able to understand ultimately um, God's purposes in these individual situations. I Mm -hmm. think if we try too hard to do that, even then that can just leave it. I mean, maybe that's an idol. You know, yeah. if I feel like I have to understand exactly why this is happening. Yeah. Like um, knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it was just, uh, I just read, I'm reading through the minor prophets right now. And I want to say it's uh, Habakkuk where he's like, I want to know kind of coming to God. Like, why are these things happening? Yeah. And God's like, mind your business, bro. Yeah. I don't have to tell you. Who are you? Yeah. Who are you to ask me? Yeah. You know? And ultimately it just leaves Habakkuk where he's like, you're right. Like, yeah. who am I to ask you? But I know that you're good and I yeah. know that you're trustworthy and I know I can lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love God's response to Habakkuk. Like if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. If I, if I revealed to you what I was doing and what's going on, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. So I dig that. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think that's good. I think there, I think one of the things I would say, not necessarily to answer that question, but I think a distinction between those two scenarios could be, I don't want to say that it is, I don't want to sound absolute, but a distinction between those two scenarios could be repentance at the very least as a Mm. starting point, particularly if there is a couple who is doing all of the things and because I mean, I've counseled couple couples who are doing all of the things or trying to do all of the things necessary. They'll go to the counseling, they'll read the books, they'll, go to the conferences they'll they'll do whatever it takes and are dismissive of the condition of their heart now that's not to say that everything is going to be good to go the next week but at the very least it's a starting point in examining um and examining their heart and examining their heart um in conjunction to the relationship with jesus Mm -hmm. and i think it's psalm 86 where, where where david says lord i turn to you and I'm coming to you uh, poor and needy. Now, clearly, David wasn't poor in terms of material or materials or finances. Like David is saying that he is coming before the Lord empty. Mm-hmm. Um, like the spiritual condition of his of his heart is one that is broken, contrite, and empty of pride and arrogance. Mm-hmm. And so, I wonder if perhaps that would be at least one key distinction in those two scenarios. Again, that's not to say that they're good to go both scenarios in both scenarios that these couples are going to be good to go the next week. That's not what I'm saying, but at the very minimum, it at the very least helps us or them to examine the condition of their heart and examine their relationship between themselves and God and then start from there. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know if that's something that, uh, well, I'll speak from my own perspective. That's, that's not anything that I had really heard much about mm. and like growing up in the church is actual repentance Yeah, like that. It, in my mind, repentance and repent was just a word that like 
street preachers would use as right. they're hassling you when you walk around downtown. Yeah. So I thought it was just like a negative thing primarily or a one-time uh, thing or a one-time thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, I repented when I became a believer Yeah. and it's like, well, yeah, but there's a, isn't it Luther that says a Christian's life is marked with repentance? Yeah. Yeah. He said, when the Lord Jesus called us to repent, he called us to repent for a lifetime. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think so. Apart from that, I think you're right, though. Like, I think as far as a couple's mental health, I, I think apart from apart from or dismissing the examination of the condition of their heart, I think that's why many couples find themselves incredibly frustrated with one another. Mm. You know, um, and, and so often in some scenarios, in some counseling scenarios, right, one of the spouses thinks the reason that they're there is because of the other spouse. Oh, and yeah. so, you know what I mean? And so they're really frustrated because all of this work is they're trying to do all this work or they're trying to get momentum in all of this work. And the work might not even be bad. It might even be like some really good work that they need to address and encounter. But I think- sure. Think apart from again at the very minimum at the part from examining the condition of our hearts, repenting before the Lord on where we really are, coming before Him empty, right? As somebody says, um, uh, it's going to leave individuals incredibly frustrated, mm-hmm. and and I think sometimes like when I like I have some couples who are going through premarital. I think we've talked about this before, but um, oftentimes when I'll meet with some couples, the first thing they'll say is, man, we just really need help with our communication. Like, and, mm-hmm. and part of it is actually it's you might, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't, but that's actually not what we're what in this context, in this scenario between me and you and, or you and me as your pastor, like in the context of this scenario, we're actually going to address your heart first so that we can better determine all these other things. And, yeah. and when we do, when I do that, uh, or when I've seen it done, you kind of get a better, a better picture. I was, it was like a mix of bigger and better. Uh, you get this better picture of um, exactly as to why they are so frustrated. And there may be a lack of love toward one another and a great deal of judgment toward one another. And it's a result of frustration because all of this stuff is happening. And well, the heart issue hasn't necessarily been addressed first. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. It just makes me wonder what kind of different responses we get <laughs> in like the beginning of working with a couple. So yeah. obviously you being a pastor and me being a therapist, but, uh, but I, I almost feel like every single person that I see, they think they're there because of their spouse, yeah. every single one for real. Like if, if they would just stop doing this, then we would be okay. Yeah. You know, and I, I understand where they're coming in at and that it definitely feels that way. But I think most people, when they're coming in, and again, like I'm working with the people that are like distressed enough where they're seeking out therapy, which is not, you know, not everybody. Right. But um, with those people, there, there tends to be a lack of awareness of what is even happening for them. Mm. Like part of where we're starting off is helping them understand like how they're responding when they get into these things with, with their, their spouse and uh what they end up doing out of it and sometimes they don't even know starting off just because they're so hyper focused on what they think they're getting from from 
you know, their spouse. I say what they think they're getting because there's a lot of perception in there where that maybe they're filling in the blanks of what they perceive to be happening, Mm -hmm. which is not at all the intention of the other person. Yeah. I feel like I'm going off on a rant here. We should probably get back on track, but (laughs) it just, (laughs) it just, I don't know. It made me think of that with, uh, you know, what they're coming in for and, and the need for repentance. Yeah. Um, because it's like maybe they don't even know what they need to repent of starting off. Right. Right. Exactly. So that's why I think like repentance is 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 kind of a minimal thing, but they need an individual, a pastor, a friend, a therapist, a counselor, someone to kind of disciple them, right? Like walk them to, hey, this is what's what's going on. And upon them, like, because like some people, you said it, you said it well, like there are some individuals who I mean they they actually genuinely don't know. They're not self-aware. And so but by definition, that that's ignorance, right? Like they are uninformed. And right. so as you disciple them and counsel them and meet with them and they become informed, well, now, now it's brought to their attention and brought to the surface to where they could at the very least begin to address um, heart issues. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the first thing I was thinking of, but that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that I was thinking about that I think this is an important topic when it comes to your mental health in the church is when people are signing up to uh, maybe literally signing up like a, like a membership agreement of Mm -hmm. expectations of being Mm -hmm. a member and excuse me. um, And they're kind of committing to a community Mm -hmm. and in a lot of communities, you're signing up to be like called on your stuff in some yeah. ways. Yeah, you are signing up to be sinned against and to be held accountable. Yeah, yeah. And so when people don't understand that and they're getting into that and they're thinking, well, this is part of being a, at a church, I'm supposed to sign up, you know, and then if I do this, then God's going to give me an amazing marriage and we're going to mm. have sex every day. Then they end up in the situation where they end up getting called on their stuff by someone. And it's like they end up thinking that they're just at some judgmental church where mm. maybe you're just at a healthy church right. that understands <laughs> what good. you signed up for maybe better than you did, you know? Right. right. And so, but that would be, I, I mean, I imagine being that person that, you know, and I probably was that person at some point where I'm like, mm. I have expectations of what the church is based on absolutely nothing other than what I believe it to be. Yeah. Uh, based on my own experiences or based on what the culture tells me, because I definitely wasn't getting any information from the word. That's for sure. Right. And then I come into a situation and I'm like, wait, I thought Christians aren't supposed to be judgy. And it's like, well, then I mean, there's kind of distinctions in that, right? There's yeah. a difference between judging and like kind of from an, from an area of like self-righteousness of like, you right. don't pray as much as me or things like that. But I mean, someone being willing to have difficult conversations with you is really just a, a loving thing to do. You know? Yeah, yeah like absolutely. If we, if we think about like a medical doctor that doesn't want to tell you that you have this, you know, really critical diagnosis, I mean, that would be unbelievably unethical, right? Yeah. Like for them to just kind of keep these, this thing to themselves. Uh, but that's kind of what we're expecting. Well, that seems to be what the culture is expecting when it comes to church of like loving each other is just accepting each other exactly as you are. Right. When it's not exactly that we need to have a much bigger conversation about what loving is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, 
Yeah, I think that's where words matter. And I think, you know, people who throw, um, you know, uh, what is it? I guess like, judgment around as if it's like, man, that's something uh, I don't want. But yeah, you're right. There, There is a distinction uh, between being judgmental um, toward those who who being judgmental in, in a way where self-righteousness is your motivation in your heart. Um, and then number two, uh, or on the other side, there is this uh, distinction where it's not so much that it's judgment, but rather love toward your brother or sister. Right. Um, and, and the apostle John talks about this Um in first John, I mean, he addresses in first John one, he addresses it again in first John three. Um, and he goes on to say, I think this is first John three, where, where he says, everyone who, who hates his brother is a murderer. <laughs> and you know that no yeah. murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Additionally, um, in first John four, he goes on to say, let us, let us love one another for, for love is from God. Now with that, some people would say, yeah, exactly. We're supposed to be loving of one another. Yes. And that does not mean compromising truth, right? Mm-hmm. Because in his third letter in, in third John, uh, he goes on to say that what fulfills him is, is this, this is uh, third John uh, four. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And so there is no, like there isn't a compromise of the truth in addressing a brother or sister when it comes to uh, sinful behavior or actions or things that are kind of questionable. Like, Hey man, I noticed X, Y, and Z. I wanted to talk to you about it. Could you help me understand what's going on here? And so, um, and so I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. I think that's actually a godly thing. We just don't like it. Right. The other thing I see in under the umbrella of idolatry in marriage is where similar to what you were saying, where the man or the woman recognize, do you, let me say this again. They do not recognize what they're signing up for. Like, in other words, they don't even, they don't have a biblical understanding of, of, of what marriage is. They're primarily influenced by their experiences and or what they hope to see. And so when they get married and, you know, they run into some rough patches, what comes out is that, man, uh, the husband uh, just either wants to be left alone or for the wife to just listen to him. And the wife is really upset and she practically wants him to be Jesus. Um, and, And so there is almost this dismissal of, how they're wired and how they think and how they actually are trying to serve one another. All of those things are kind of dismissed because the expectation there is, I think is, is one where they're trying to want one another to be someone they're not rather than pointing one another to the one who is faithful. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) That shrug at the end. Like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just saying. <laughs> the no, shoe that's fits. Good though, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that would be evident of idolatry because yeah. the, the whole point of that would be I married you because you're supposed to fulfill these expectations in my yeah. life. Yeah. And when you don't do that, we have an issue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rather and and so there's like a lack of I'm, grace. What was that? I'm yeah. sorry. 
I was just going to say, rather than marrying them because you, you care about them and you want to right. love them well and serve them well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in his book, the meaning of marriage, Keller, Keller goes on to say that part of the reason you want to pursue marriage is because you see the Holy spirit at work in the other person's life and you see them bearing fruit and you want to, you want to participate in that with them. And they in turn see the Holy spirit at work in the other person and see your life bearing fruit or their life bearing fruit. And they want to be a part of it because as he continues to say, like 95% of marriage is learning how to serve one another. And so, um, and so the, clearly there, there is this space and understanding and necessity for, uh, for, for, for grace and repentance and forgiveness. Like those things are taking place. And I think sometimes those things are like kind of dismissed, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've given you that already, but you're not this, that, and the other. And, um, right. and yeah, so I think that's another cause of seeing couples just so burnt out and frustrated. Like, I think I'm doing all the things I need to, and I got to keep repenting. I got to keep doing the things. And, to a degree, there's truth in that, but there is also a real, there's also real evidence of them just being frustrated and burnt out. Yeah. Truth. Yeah, bro. Anyway. Um, what else? Yeah. I'm sorry. I was like, okay, yeah, that's good. Anyway. What, what other things do you think, uh, kind of center the conversation or, or apply to the conversation around, around marriage and idolatry? Hmm. That's an interesting question. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the things that I think we we should and we've kind of talked about this already, but mm-hmm. so if if our view of what marriage is supposed to be is that it's the intent is to to make us happy and make us fulfilled, then how does that help us understand suffering when that happens? Mm. Versus if we have a biblical understanding of what marriage is and Mm -hmm. what it's supposed to be that's really good okay all right hold on hold on go back to that okay our understanding of marriage as it when suffering occurs uh let me just lay it out there again is that yeah lay it out there again okay go ahead okay so depending on our view of marriage if we have a biblical understanding or if marriage is an idol an idol for us then when we come across suffering how would we understand that oh well i if uh i think a couple of things right so the first thing is if i have a if i have a biblical understanding of marriage right Mm -hmm. um and i and we come across suffering i no, my answer would be the same never mind i was about to say like well unpack suffering right but Mm. i think you can unpack suffering and still boil it down to this being an opportunity, a necessity for my spouse and I to pursue sanctification. Like this season, this trial, this problem, this issue in one way or another is, is should, I should say that it should sanctify us. That doesn't mean that things don't need to be addressed. That doesn't mean that all of these things that I think people would think, what about this, that, and the other, I think those things are going to need to be addressed and walked through. And as you're walking through them, as you're walking through, i.e. suffering, it is for the goal of being sanctified in, in Christ. Cause I think in, in trial and in suffering, that's when all of your stuff is going to come to the surface. Your heart is going to come to the surface. What you're really about is going to come to the surface. What you have kept is going to come to the surface. And so it's an opportunity to be sanctified, whether the, the couple 
chooses to pursue sanctification is a different thing because individuals can forfeit their sanctification and therefore kind of stunt their growth and, uh, and, and grieve the Holy spirit. But, uh, it should be an opportunity to pursue sanctification. And, and that's, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard and good at the same time. Yeah, that's good, man. I, f- it's, it's so interesting. Uh, I mean, just as you talk and it's not that like, this is necessarily new information um, that, you know, marriage is a much bigger thing than we, I think generally think about. Yeah. Uh, but that's just where I keep going. Like this is so much bigger than we usually think about when we think mm-hmm. about marriage. And it's like, we almost devalue it in a big way, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's like, people will take, and again, not that suffering is easy, obviously, but I think a lot of times that immediately gives people an impression that there must be a problem with them and their relationship. Yeah. Um, and I guess on some level that could be true. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the other side of that, like you're talking about is there's actually a lot of goodness that can come out of that. Yeah. Um, and even in the way that it does identify problems in the relationship that mm-hmm. gives you opportunity for them to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be, that's going to be hard, but man, the, the work of sanctification is a beautiful thing because it gives God all the glory. It makes you and your spouse uh, it helps you and your spouse to conform into the image of Christ. It's you and your spouse responding to the work of the spirit in you. Um, it's an opportunity to repent and, and, and display ongoing transformation. It displays humility. It empowers the couple. Like there's a lot of good things that happen through um, seasons of, of struggle. And, and there's a lot of good things that can happen. In, in, in terms of seasons of struggle and, and suffering. And, uh, and ultimately I think if, if the husband and wife are pointing one another to Jesus, um, and, and are aware of some of the difficulty and the challenges that they're about to walk into and they're not doing it alone, man, I, I think that that should bear fruit. Um, that should bear fruit. It should, uh, what's the word it should fight against resentment and discontentment um and it keeps them it keeps them from having a um idolatrous view of marriage and rather a sanctifying view of marriage mm, that's good yeah oh one other uh piece that goes along with this and it's straight up secular research but that's something I kind of geek out on is when research lines <laughs> up with like what research. scripture already yeah. tells us. Well, it's cool. Cause it's like, Hey, you're affirming what scripture already told you yeah. forever ago, yeah. you know? So I think that's awesome. But um, from what we understand about the way that people bond when like relationships form uh, particularly in, you know, intimate relationships that people become uh, closer and strengthen the relationship far more when they're in conflict and when they're facing mm. difficulties together than if they just have really awesome date nights. Mm. Like you can go on a vacation and, you know, nothing goes wrong. Like there's no problem getting on the flights, get checked into your hotel and there's no issues, have a lot of fun together, you know, have really good meals and no bonding really happens yeah. throughout 
those experiences. Mm. But when you're faced with conflict in the midst of that, you actually end up a lot closer. So, yeah, that's really good. I like that. Yeah. I dig that. Cool, man. Well, guys, we hope this episode was helpful. Uh, certainly something for us to revisit, especially because I think we added like two or three other subjects and we're like, we can come back to this later. But nevertheless, <laughs> man, marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a sanctifying thing and it is something God glorifying. And so we hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, we will see you guys next week here on the Reforming Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Visit the reforminglounge.com.